0: involved and do our part. Genesis 49, say, say amen if you're there. I want you to read the Scripture with me tonight from the English Bible. Genesis 49, verse 19. Let's read together verse 19. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Wow. Gad shall be overcome by a troop, but he shall overcome at the last. I want to preach your message tonight entitled, He Shall Overcome. Do you feel like you've been run over? A bulldozer's parked on top of you. Do you feel like you've been in a war? Your battle scarred? Do you feel like you've been on a storm? You've been thrown overboard in the water. Do you feel like the plane that you've been on has crash landed? You're in a hundred pieces scattered everywhere. Then you probably feel like Gab. A troop overcame him. But that's not the end of the story. He shall overcome at the last. I want us to look at one character In fact, if you sneezed while you're reading Genesis 49, you'd probably miss this verse. If you're a quick reader, you probably wouldn't even pay attention. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Father, this evening, thank you for all that we've sung and heard today. Would you bless this passage? And you promise that your word will not return void to you. Would you bless this passage, ingrained deeply into our hearts? I'm praying especially tonight all of us have trials and difficulties, discouragements we're going through, and we might feel just exactly where Gad's at this evening, and I pray that when it's all said and done, that God, you'll have your way, and you'll help us to see what the Bible says, and I pray that you'll help us embrace and love you even more. Dear Lord, I pray, open our eyes, behold wondrous things out of thy law, order our steps in your word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over us. Father, tonight we just pray for enough light for the next step. And we pray this evening that you'll be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Gad is the seventh son of Jacob that he bore to Leah. Leah was his mother. Jacob has one verse of prophecy for Gad that's kind of interesting. He wasn't necessarily the smallest of the tribes, but he was a smaller tribe. And he had one verse to say about this boy that was born to Leah, that was his seventh son. He said, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. A troop is a large band of men. There's not necessarily a number assigned to a troop. We just know it's a large band of men. For some of us who live here in the United States, we might think of a troop as a football team, and they're all linebackers, amen? For some of us, we might think of them as a large battalion or platoon of men. When we hear this matter of a troop, at least as used here in this verse of scripture, we think about being outnumbered, we think about being outmanned, we think about being overwhelmed, we think about being overcome. Don't raise your hand. But perhaps many of you tonight can feel, you can identify the thought, you have been overwhelmed by situations. You've been overwhelmed by problems. We have a new believer that we've been working with that was in a church last week. I sent them a message on Monday. I tried to get to as many people as I can that are missing and sent a message out Monday. And I said, hey, we missed you. Are you doing okay? And they got back to the pastor. It says, it's been tough. After my brother passed away, it just seems like one setback after one setback. I just got laid off my job. I don't know what to do. They turned my phone off. I want to trust God, but it seems so hard. And the thought came to my mind, Gad, a troop shall overcome him. A troop will overcome us. It's feeling like we've been run over by, we've been outnumbered and we've and run over by this large group of people. Now, notice in this verse, if you go back to Genesis chapter 30, we find the description when his mother Leah gave birth to him, she gave him the name Gad. But this is what she said about him. When she gave birth to him, she said, his name should be Gad, which means a troop cometh. Now when Leah gave the name to him, it actually had a positive connotation. You might want to write that down. It had a positive connotation to it. When she said a troop cometh, she literally meant this, that this son represents good fortune. Now when Leah gave birth to him, she thought of Gad as somebody that there would be blessing and there would be the showers of God upon this boy's life. But Jacob, who is leaning upon his staff, he's he's basically exerting the last of his energy, giving prophecies about his 12 sons, looks at Gad and he describes Gad not as a troop that cometh, but he describes him as one who is overcome by a troop. Gad is a powerful picture of someone who had immense difficulties and problems in life, but in the end, he overcomes all of that. In 1962, a couple by the name of Victor and Mildred Getzel did a study of 413 famous and exceptionally gifted people. 413 of them. They spent many months and a couple of years studying these 413 people from birth to death. They studied these people to determine what was it about these people that made them exceptional. And they discovered that 382 out of the 413 overcame the obstacles and difficulties in their lives. People like, like, uh, like Helen Keller, who, uh, who was born blind, and uh, people like that, and uh, people that were born dyslexic who wound up overcoming their difficulties. They studied these people and were amazed to find out that the majority of these people, they were people that were like Gad, a troop that had overcome them, but in the end they overcame. George Washington, our first president of the United States said this, the greater the conflict the greater the triumph. The greater the conflict, the greater the triumph. I want us to see tonight how he shall overcome. Notice first of all this evening if you have your outline, I want you to consider with me Gad and his conflicts. Gad and his conflicts. We want to look at Gad and his conflicts. When we look at Gad the bible says a troop shall overcome him that's not a very encouraging thought from a father to a son that's not a very encouraging prophecy for a father to give about a son about the tribe of one tribe of israel a troop shall overcome him he's talking about the fact life will have its victories but life will also have its losses losses are hard losses are humiliating Losses lead to heartbreak and heartache. The Bible is God's compilation of human tragedies. It describes the many diverse and difficult circumstances people like you and I will encounter. Now, either you're going through something, you've come out of something, or you're going to go into something. Life has its difficulties. Life has its losses. Losses hurt, losses are hard. I think about Abel who was murdered by his brother Cain and how his mother and father, Adam and Eve, bore the loss of Abel. That was very Very hard. I think of Lot, who broke fellowship with Uncle Abraham, and Uncle Abraham, all he did was nothing but good to Lot, but Lot broke fellowship with him. I think about Joseph, who was one of these brothers here. He was the eleventh brother. Joseph, who was hated by his brothers and sold off for twenty pieces of silver and thought was dead. I think about Aaron and Miriam, who failed in the responsibility to Moses. They knew that God's hand was on this brother. But Aaron and Miriam conspired together. We read about this in Numbers, and they turned Against him. They were mad at him because of the wife that he married. They didn't necessarily agree with him. And God had to deal with Aaron and Miriam. And there was a terrible time in the nation of Israel. Now, I think about Joshua, who had a decisive victory over Jericho. And was used of God to, to part the waters of Jordan. So that all the tribes of Israel could cross over the river Jordan. To demonstrate that God's power was on their life to possess that, that promised land. They had this great decisive victory over Jericho. And yet they looked at Ai. And they thought, we can handle Ai with two or three three thousand men. And yet they turned tail. They ran from the men of Ai and thirty of their men were slain in battle. I think about Elijah who ran from Jezebel. Here's Elijah that went up there on the Mount Carmel and he took on him all several hundred of the prophets of Baal and the prophets who sat at her table. And he took them on and defeated them and was decisive against them. One man against several hundred. And yet he ran down the hill. in now distance he actually outran the chariot of, Je- of, of Ahab and got back down there to the city of Jezreel. And Jezebel, who was not there, all she could think of was all the loss of those men. And she said, God help you because I'm going to take your head off today. And and Elijah ran from Jezebel. I think about Naboth, not many years later, who was falsely accused of crimes he did not commit. And he was stoned. You know, life has his victories, but life has his losses. I think about King Saul and three of his sons who were killed on the battlefield against the Philistines. What a tragic moment that was in the nation of Israel. Everyone in Israel ran and went to hide themselves when that happened. I think about the about the patriarch job who the Bible says was more upright than any other man in the land of Uz where he lived. And yet Job experienced the tragic loss of his children, the loss of all of his livestock. He lost, the, he lost his real estate. He lost, he lost his servants. And then to top all that off, he lost his health. He was afflicted with these terrible boils and was so bad that his wife didn't even want to be around him. She said she considered his breath to be corrupt and did want to have anything to do around him. And Job, you consider all the things he went through. He said, man born of woman, his days are few and full of trouble. I think of John the Baptist who was the forerunner to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one that Isaiah prophesied about and the one that Malachi prophesied about. He said, Behold, behold, a messenger shall come. And here John the Baptist arrives on the scene and he rides with fire from God and just out there in the Judean wilderness and preaches a baptism of repentance. And many came to him and, to, and, and acknowledged that they identified with his baptism and they were repenting because he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And yet John the Baptist was not well liked, and he was hated by the kingdom. And Herod the king imprisoned him for telling him the truth, and eventually beheading this man. What a tragic loss! And I think about Stephen, who the Bible says was the first mention of those seven men who came alongside of the apostles there in Acts chapter six. A very critical moment in the history of the church when the church was going through some growing, growing issues there. And the Bible says of the apostles, they said, "Look, you out among you, seven men of honest report and full of the Holy Ghost." And Stephen was the first name. I mean, everybody there in the church, they said, well, you know what? It's, it's a, that's a no-brainer. We see this man, he's already busy serving God. We see this man that's filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this man already winning souls. We see this man full of wisdom. He's a problem solver. He shows experience. And the Bible speaks repeatedly of, of Stephen, that he was full of faith and he was full of power. And then the day came, we read over in verses 7 and 8, where the Libertines and the Alexandrians and people like that, they were disputing with Stephen about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says about Stephen, they could not resist the spirit and the power in which he spoke. And listen, he had God's power on him. Listen, you and I need what Stephen had. We need to be so winners that get on the field there and knock on some doors and going after some people that they cannot resist the spirit and the power by which we speak. I'm telling you today, don't be intimidated by this generation. And don't be intimidated by this age. And don't be intimidated by the laws being passed against us. And don't be intimidated. You know, the pagan society in let's get a Stephen spirit, brother and sister in Christ. And let's go knock on some doors. And let's take out some Easter flyers. And let's go after some hardened sinners. And let's go on the universities there. And let's put up some posters there. And let's go out on the work site And let it be said of the members of Heritage Baptist Church. They could not resist the spirit and the power by which they spoke the things of God. I'm saying today as you look at those things Stephen did all that. And then a mob of people came on him. We get to Acts chapter 7, and that Peter and Stephen stands up there, and he preaches one of the great sermons that's recorded in the Bible. He goes back over time. Man, he tells some things about their Old Testament history they had forgotten. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Isaac, and he talks about Jacob. He talks about Moses being raised up there. He talks about Moses and his failures, and how God raised Moses up. And then he stands before them, and he looked at them. He pointed his little bony finger at that mob there that was against him. He says, you do always resist the Holy Spirit of God. And they gnashed him with their teeth, and they got they just had a mob spirit, and they got together. So we've had enough of this man. We've had enough of this preaching. And I'm going to tell you today, brother and sister Christ, we may be in a time when Jesus is coming soon. It may be during our generation, Jesus Christ will come. But I'm going to tell you, there's a time that will come that we'll stand at a pulpit like this, and we'll be preaching away the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we may go to a door and knock on a door like we did yesterday and tell people about Christ, but there may come a time they're going to gnash at us with their teeth. They're going to look at us and hate that message and hate what our Jesus is all about. And they may do to us like they did with Stephen, by thank God today that as they did so, Stephen looked up to heaven, and the Lord Jesus Christ standing on his right throne. Listen, when you read about Jesus, every time you read about him in heaven, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. But listen, when he's ready to receive you home, Jesus is standing up at that throne. He's ready to receive you. And he stood up there, and Stephen said, Lord, forgive them for their sins. But listen, they took their stones, and they dragged Stephen out, and they stoned him. What a loss! Listen, life has its victories, but life has its losses. I think about Paul, the Apostle Paul, who experienced stonings, discouragings, and chains from city to city. And I think of women like Sarah and Hannah who could not, con- could not conceive children And they felt like they were the scourge of their society. And yet God touched their bodies. But in the midst of all that, they felt defeated. They felt discouraged. They wanted to hide under a rock. They felt so ashamed they couldn't have children there. Oh, listen, life has its victories, but life has its losses. I think about parents in the Bibles whose sons or daughters were controlled by demonic entities and uh, and were were controlling those situations. I think about that man who walked 15 miles from Capernaum all the way down to Cana of Galilee to see Jesus. Oh, we know that he was a nobleman. He was an aristocrat. He was a Rich man, he is a man that served, and the first thing he said to Jesus was, "Sir, come down ere my son die." Listen, life has its victories, but life has its losses. Listen, you're going to have good health, but the day's going to come you're going to have bad health. You're going to have good health, you're going to have 20/20 vision. The day's going to come you're going to have cataract surgery. The day's going to come that you think your organs are doing well, and then you go to the doctor, you find out you've got cancer in the organ. The day's going to come when you realize that you're healthy now, and you might be able to do 40, and 50, and 100 pushes. But the day's going to come where maybe the infirmity of the flesh, you're going to have arthritis that's going to go through your bones and things are going to afflict you. You're going to, you may be thinking very sharp now when you can do calculations in your head, but the day might come, sir and the day may come, ma'am, when your mind is afflicted by dementia and Alzheimer's and the thinking the thinking that you used to have is corrupted and demented and all messed up. I'm just saying today, listen, life has its victories, but life has its losses. A troop shall overcome him. You're going to have a time and place and you're going to feel like you're run over by a troop. When an army's come and taking you down, you're going to feel like all all the victories you had along the way, what happened? Why did God forsake me? Did God leave me? You're going to have those moments of time there. These were people that were overcome by a troop. There are circumstances we'll have our backs against the wall, our faces in the dirt, and our faith in shattered pieces. Maybe I'm talking to somebody right now in this room that you feel that same way. Your back is against the wall, your face is in the dirt, and you feel like your your faith is shattered in pieces. You even wonder, does God even care? You even wonder does anybody even know? You even wonder that somebody does, even cares about what's going on you feel like gad a troop has overcome you gad has his conflicts you have your conflicts i have my conflicts there are those who've been run over by difficulty after difficulty and it's interesting we read verse 19 a troop shall overcome him gad didn't have a troop behind him to back him up we see Gad in his conflict. Did you notice number two, we see Gad in his character. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Your <clears throat> attorney there, the idea of troops shall overcome. He's outnumbered, he's outmanned, he's outwitted, he's overcome. Martha Graham said, fire is the test of gold, adversity the test of strong men. Fire is the test of gold, adversity is the test of strong men. And I want you to notice in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, we see some interesting things about the Gadites. The Gadites are the descendants of Gad. And we read here in 1 Chronicles 12 verse 5, And of the Gadites, they separated themselves unto David, unto the whole, to the wilderness, men of might, Men of war fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions and, uh, and were as swift as the rose upon the mountains. And notice he lists the names of these men. There's 11 names, 11 descendants of Gad that are mentioned: here. Ezer the first, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmana the fourth, Jeremiah the 5th. By the way, they all had good Bible names. Atti the 6th, Eliel the 7th, Johanan the 8th, Elzebad the, the ninth, Jeremiah the 10th, Machbani the 11th. The, the these were the sons of Gab, captains of the host. One of the least was over a hundred, and the greatest over a thousand. These are they that went over Jordan in the first month when it had overflowed all his banks and they put to flight all them of the valleys both toward the east and toward the west. Now these descendants probably along the way knowing Gad, knowing how men dealt with their sons in those days. Most likely Gad sat down with his sons and he told his sons about his father Jacob. He told them about the exploits of his brothers. And he told them about the prophecy that his father gave him. He probably sat down and had a fireside chat with his sons. He says, sons, I want you to know your grandfather said made this prophecy to me. He said, a, a troop shall overcome him. And he doesn't tell them about all their problems, but something about, about difficulty and adversity and obstacles, something about that emboldened him to tell his sons to be strong. And you'll notice here we see some characteristics of Gadites. Now I'm going to tell you this evening, we need some of these characteristics. I'm going to go over with you tonight. We need these characteristics. If we're going to be people that will overcome at the last, we need some of these characteristics that will help us to have resolve in our soul and strength in our feet and power in our heart to go on. Notice, first of all, the faith of a Gadite. Notice the Bible says in here in verse verse, uh, verse 8, it says, and of the Gadites, they separated themselves unto David unto the whole to the wilderness. Now, I like that. I want you to notice the faith of the Gadites. They separated themselves to David in the wilderness. You know what that tells me tonight, the Gadites identified with David where he was at. Hey, here's some shouting ground for me right now tonight. You can identify with Jesus Christ and be an overcomer this evening. Amen? I mean, we look at this tonight. and These men, they went out to the wilderness. They got out of their comfort zone. They had to go find David while David was running from Saul. They went out where David was at. And they met with David. David didn't go out to meet them. They went out and met David. I'm going to tell you tonight, if we're going to be a Gadite that's going to overcome at the last, we've got to go meet Jesus where Jesus Is at. We've got to identify with Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if you want to overcome your insecurities, the first step in being an overcomer is to find your identity in Jesus Christ. Don't find your identity in perfume. Don't find your identity in the world. Don't find your identity in materialism. Don't find your identity in indulging yourself in things. Don't find your identity in people. Listen, young people, don't find your identity in boyfriends and girlfriends. Don't find your identity in your cars. Don't find your identity in your materialism. Don't find your identity in wealth accumulation. Hey, tonight, find your identity in God's Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says they went to David, to the hold in the wilderness. They said, listen, we've got to go find the captain. We've got to find the one who can protect us. We've got to find the one who will give us strength. We've got to find the one who will give us the strategy. We've got to have, find the one who's got the wisdom beyond wisdom. We've got to find the one who will give us power. I'm saying tonight, it's so easy to find your identity in somebody else. But tonight what will help us, if we're going to be an overcomer, we've got to find our identity in God's Son, Jesus Christ. They went to him there in the wilderness. And then notice if, if you would, not only did they meet him there but they abode there with David in the wilderness. They stayed with him. They fellowship with him. You know, they accepted the hardships that were associated with David. They accepted being in the wilderness. Listen, everybody's idea of Christianity these days is a comfortable Christianity. They want a Christianity that doesn't cost them anything. They want a Christianity that's only one service a week. They want a Christianity that doesn't ask them to give. They want a Christianity that doesn't, doesn't compel them to have faith. They want a Christianity that doesn't have trials they want a Christianity without no risk well listen there's no such thing because you read your Bible you're going to have to take up your cross and follow him you want to find that kind of Christianity you're not going to find it in the Bible come follow me he said listen we find the faith of the they, they, that attitude they had they had no problem identifying with David and by the way when they went to David David wasn't even king yet they had faith that that was the king do you have faith Jesus can help you do you have the faith? Do you have faith to believe that the same Jesus saved you from your sins? That Jesus can help you in your trial? Do you have faith to believe when you get on your knees in prayer that God's going to lift that burden? Do you have faith to believe that Jesus Christ is greater than all, that He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think? I'm saying to you tonight, as we look at the Gadites, we see the faith of the Gadites. We notice, secondly, we see the fearlessness of the Gadites. The Bible says they were men of might and men of war, fit for the battle. You know what that means? They fought some battles along the way. They experienced being overcome by some truth, but listen, at the end, they overcame. And you see these men, they were fit for the battle. They were men of war. men of Hey listen, we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. Be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to be soldiers of the Lord. Listen, the moment you got saved, you got enlisted in the army of our Savior. And thank God tonight He gives us the whole armor of God that our loins can be girt with truth and the breastplate of righteousness be upon us and our heads equipped with the, the helmet of salvation and our feet shot with the gospel of peace and our left hand the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit in our right and each piece bound with prayer and supplication in the spirit. We are soldiers of the Lord. These men were fearless. Notice some things as we noticed first Chronicles chapter 12. They were trained in what they did. You just can't jump into battle and think you're going to win that battle by yourself. You've got to be trained. You've got to be exercised. You've got to have the right armor. You got to, you have to expect that every day you don that arm and every day you go out, you're going to engage in conflict. I don't want to, I don't want to bust your balloon, but tomorrow we're going to face some conflicts. Tomorrow you're going to have a coworker worker going to get mad at you. Tomorrow you're going to get a letter in the mail that's going to be a bomb. You're going to get some kind of situation that's going to be a conflict that you'll think is a setback there. I'm just saying today, these were men that were fearless. They just decided they were men of war, men of war fit for the battle. David took look, one look at them. He went through a resume reading. He asked them certain questions. These men had proved their competency. They proved their character. They proved that they fit exactly as one of David's mighty men. These were men fit for the battle. They were fearless. But notice, men Gadites also have finesse. The Bible says something very interesting. You notice here in verse 8, it says they could handle shield and buckler. Now, buckler in this, in, this, in this case means a spear. They could handle the weapons of defense and the weapons of offense. They could handle shield and spear. These men had finesse. Oh, listen, if you're going to win the battle, you've, you've got to know how to use your sword, amen? You've got to know how to use your sword. You've got to know how to put up the shield of faith so when the fiery darts of the evil one come at you, you can put that shield of faith and Your faith can absorb it. Your faith can deflect it. Listen, we're all strong as long as we don't have a trial. We're all strong as long as we got our friends around us. Then when it's your trial, you feel like, oh, man, this is tough. This is tough. These men had finesse. They can handle shield and buckler. I want to tell you, we need believers today, some Gadites who can know how to pray. We need some Gadites today who know how to handle the Word of God. We need some Gadites today that know how to put on the whole armor of God every day and put it on quit and put it on and think about Am I loins girt with truth? If I tighten have I put the belt of truth on? Is my if I have the armor of righteousness around my life? And listen this morning, what this evening, what our society needs more than anything else. They don't need a bunch of balloons and they don't need a bunch of concerts. What our society needs is a bunch of real Christians who put on the whole armor of God and march forth for Jesus Christ and are onward Christian soldiers for him tonight. Listen, we see the Gadites are are men that have faith, and Gadites are men that are fearless, and Gadites are men that have our finesse. But notice, Gadites are men that have focus. <coughs> yeah. Would you notice here in verse 8, they had faces like a lion. Have you ever looked in the face of a lion? First, their breath isn't too good. Amen, you know? You you look at the face of a lion, they don't smile. Now, I'm not telling you to be mean, okay? I'm not telling you to be mean. I'm not telling you to be ornery. I'm not telling you not to have a smile, but here's here's the idea I want you to look at here. Lions study their prey. They're very serious about what they do. They don't take their eyes off. Hey, listen, you know, every time God had to get a hold of Jeremiah or Isaiah or a prophet like that, you know what he'd tell them because they thought, Lord, you want me to bring that message? You want me to go to those people? You know what God always told them to do? Set your face like a flint. face of a lion. A face of a lion is focused... Focus on the objective. Focus on Jesus. Focus on winning. Focus, if you got knocked down, you're going to get right back up. Focus, they had faces like a lion. He looked in their face. He said, these are men that I need. There's no fear in their eyes. These are men that have determination. They mean business. But notice, these men only had focus. These men were fast. Notice what he says in the latter part of verse 8. He says, they were swift as the rose upon the mountains. I like that. You know, mountains are not easy places to go for recreation, let alone for battle. And mountains have descents. Mountains have ascents. Uh, mountains have rocks. They don't have, they don't have paved pathways. You've got to make your pathway. You've got to climb here and climb there. Sometimes you can do it with your legs. And sometimes you've got to do it with your hands. Sometimes it can be slippery. If you know anything about climbing mountains, it's not an easy thing. And yet the Bible says of these men, they were swift as rows upon the mountains. These were men that got up on a the mountain. They just got up. They were they were quick and they were, they were agile in what they did. Now the whole description there reminds us of what David said. He said, the king's business requireth haste. Hey, don't be... Be a sluggard and drag your feet. Let's get busy for God. Amen. Move up, move very quickly for the Lord and get something done. Listen, guys, you guys who, who you, you think you're a leader, walk like a leader. I see some guys who are just walking like this. Like, man, walk like a leader. Get up there, and make make your pathway there. Get going there like that. Okay. Don't 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 act your age. Okay. Act like you're a Christian. Amen. Just go fast and walk walk heartily for the Lord. There. I mean, these men were fast, they, and you know, they, they, the king's business requires haste. Hey, you get those you get those flyers out and move fast. Listen, you get out there, knock on doors, and and you go. Go out there and, and reach some people for Christ and try to get some people there. And you move quickly. He says, the king's business requires, hey, don't waste time. These men, when they got there, they, 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 they ran up there and they, they were around the mountains. They didn't stop any particular place because they had to get their destination. Hey, finish what you start. Finish what you start. Don't start something and end it right in, in the middle there. they Finish what you start. They were not intimidated by heights or ascending or descending pathways. They were swift and quick upon the mountains. They were like one of David's mighty men, uh, Asahel, who was light as foot as a row. He moved very quickly and doing the things of God. I mean, when we look at these men, we see these characteristics. Notice the names of these 11 men. All 11 of these Gadites were a tribute to Jacob's prophecy. They were leaders that others could follow. Hey, look what it says there about them later on in verse 15. Later on, they went to the Jordan River when the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. And if you ever watch a, a, a body of water like a river it's overflowing its banks, the water's moving very quickly. Those are rapids. And if you know anything about rapids, you realize if you're not very careful, the rapids can catch you up or you get caught by an undercurrent. If you don't know how to swim against an undercurrent, you're in bad trouble, amen? And you get caught up in something like that, it starts moving quickly. You feel like you're going to be pushed off balance there. It doesn't take a lot of speed from a rapid to push you over. Yet the Bible says at a time when the, the Jordan was overflowing its bank in the first month, this is time of harvest, that they went over Jordan. Listen, God did not part the waters for these Gadites. They had to cross their way over. They had to get neck high in water in some cases over their heads in water. Hey, these Gadets were not afraid to get their heads over water or neck high in water. They were not afraid of the rabbits that probably made some of them lose their balance and get knocked over along the way. Now the Bible says here in verse 15, they went over, they went there when it overflowed the banks, and they put to flight all the valleys. Listen, it took a lot of effort and a lot of exertion to cross that Jordan River. And by the time they get over, they went there and attacked the enemy. And the Bible says here in verse 15, When they attacked the enemy, they put to flight all of them of the valleys, both towards the east and towards the west. Nothing deterred these men. They were quick about what they did. They were determined in what they did. They had resolve in what they wanted to do. They had faith in what they wanted to do. Hey, no wonder Draco could prophesy, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. We need Gadite characteristics. We need Gadite characteristics of faith. We need Gadite characteristics of fearlessness. We need Gadite characteristics of focus. We need Gadite characteristics of of have, being fast and finesse, and knowing that in all these things, God works through these matters and helping us to overcome at the last. We see their characteristics. But notice one more thing when we're done tonight. We see Gad in his conflict. We see Gad in his character. Notice tonight we see Gad who conquers. Go back to Genesis 49, verse 19. Same amen if you're there. Gad who conquers. A troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome a troop At the last. The troop is coming at him. He will be overcome but he gets himself back up and he overcomes at the last. What he's picturing there is someone who fights to the end someone who triumphs in adversity he pictures someone who's knocked down but not knocked out. He pictures someone who's beaten but he's not, but he will not bow he pictures someone who's in the fire but yet he rises victorious he pictures someone who's overthrown by a legion but overcomes by the Lord termed in your Bible is the 2 2nd Corinthians 4 notice verses 8 and 9. Paul can identify with that. Paul can identify the spirit of overcoming a troop at the last. Last, look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. Paul said this, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Notice verse 9. He's, he's describing this. He's saying, listen, we're every, all around us, we've got trouble, but we're not distressed. We are perplexed but not in despair. Then he says persecuted, but not forsaken. Now, in the actual original language, you know what it literally says? He's using athletic terms. He says, we're like a wrestler. We're pressed with our shoulders on the mat, but we're not pinned. Repressed, but not pinned. And then he says here in verse 9, cast down, but not destroyed. Now he goes from a wrestling terminology. He's using boxing terminology. He says, we're pressed, but we're not pinned. They're not going to make us tap out. He says, we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. He says a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome a troop at the last. He's telling us about how Gad is a conqueror. Gad who overthrows. Gad who's a winner at the end. Tonight I think about David. And David who was outnumbered and overwhelmed by king's troops. We read over there about David, how he ran from from Saul. We read, I guess, from chapter 19 or 20 there of 1 Kings until we get to about chapter, chapter, to the end of that chapter. And David's running, running, running from Saul. But there came a time when David realized, you know what, I don't need to be running from him. God is on my side, and God is with me. And maybe God even thoughts. well, David was in the cave of Dulem, and David had some solemn time with God in the cave of Dulem. Then maybe he thought about Gad there, and maybe he thought about this ancestor of his, this forefather. A troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome a troop in the last. And he thought about that. And David went on to write Psalms 18, if you'll turn there. In Psalms 18, if you'll turn there please, we go down to verse 27. It's a victorious psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. It's a psalm of David, how David talks about how he overcame Saul, and it's not only recorded in Psalms 18. We also see in Second Samuel chapter 22 the whole psalm is recorded there. It's such a wonderful psalm, and I think it's also recorded in First Chronicles there. And we go down to verse 27 if you're there, Psalms 18, and he says this: "For Thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. For Thou wilt light my candle; the Lord my God will light my darkness." You know what he's saying there? We are going to come to some dark places in our life, dark places we're not sure where to go and what to do. But he says, God. will light your candle. I like that. God will light your candle at the right time. God will give you enough light for the right moment. He'll give you enough light for the next step. He'll show you what you need to do. But I like verse 29. Are you there? Verse 29 he says for by thee I have run through a troop. Now what he's saying there? I ran right through that army. I ran right through that legion. I ran right through that obstacle. By thee I've run through a troop. He's saying listen God is on my side and God is with me. And now I understand well God put this to me. Yes we're outnumbered. Yes Saul's army is larger. And yes Saul has more weapons we've got. Yes, Saul's got the city back You, but I shall run by through a troop. He said, by thee I will run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Hey, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome a troop of the last. Hey, don't you let that troop, don't you let that legion or that battalion of demons and and, 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 and satanic personalities overthrow you. Don't let that obstacle you have overthrow you. You just decide here, like David, that you know that God is on your side, and you're just going to mount up with wings like eagle, and you're going to run and knock away and walk cannot faint and you're going to run through that trip you're going to say you're not going to overcome me for by God I shall overcome that troop he says and he said in verse 30 yes for God his way is perfect how many believe that tonight amen As for God his way is perfect yeah I don't understand why the troop overcame me but I understand one thing I will overcome the troop at the last he says the word of the Lord is tried he's a buckler to all those that trust in him I think of some famous people tonight they said about Vince Lombardi, who was the coach of the Green Bay Packers back in the glory days of the 60s of the Packers. They won two Super Bowls in the 60s. That was a, that was a phenomenal event. They said this about Vince Lombardi. So he took on, the football, uh, took on coaching there in the, in the professional league. They said, he possesses minimal football knowledge. He lacks motivation. Boy, I wonder if they're eating their words right now. Amen, you know. They said this about, about Beethoven. They said as they watched him handle the, the, uh, the violin and preferred playing his own composition instead of proving his technique, his teacher called him hopeless as a composer. I wish he came back now to see what Beethoven accomplished. They said about Enrico Caruso was a great opera singer. They said he had no voice at all and could not sing, yet he went on to thrill the hearts of many in operas that he sang. Walt Disney, who's famous for Disneyland and Disney World, all over the world, he was first job that he had. He was fired by a newspaper for lacking ideas of all things. And then he went bankrupt several times before he went ahead and had some people have trust him, and he went on to develop Disneyland and Disney World. Hey, I think about these famous people. They had situations just like you and me. A troop overcame them, but they overcame the troop at the last. These were people that went on for that had, to give God the glory. In the New Testament, the word overcome is a very interesting word if you've ever studied it. The word overcome we find throughout the New Testament is the word we get our word Nike from. Some of you wear Nike shoes. The word Nike means overcome, an overcomer. It's the word Nikeo, and it talks about over and over again. Over 18 to 20 times, the word Nikeo or Nike is used in describing the life of the Christian. It describes the overcomer. The Bible tells us in Jesus Christ, you and I are an overcomer. Think of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has overcome this world. You feel like this world is too hard and the pressures are too great and the difficulties are too much? Listen to what Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen, tonight, you can rest your head on that tonight. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. It doesn't matter which way the world goes. It doesn't matter what laws they pass. You can rest your head on the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us, in the world you shall have tribulation. He tells us that what troops shall overcome us, but he says, in the end, we shall overcome the troop. He says that Jesus said himself, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world you ought to claim that tonight jesus said i am the first nike i am the true nike i am the overcomer and you can rest on that tonight don't be defeated by your worries and don't be defeated by your anxieties and don't be defeated by the diagnosis and don't be defeated by somebody's negative comments and don't be defeated by somebody saying evil things and bad things about just realize tonight no matter what they say you find your identity in jesus christ and if jesus loves you listen you can rest your head at night knowing jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so Listen, tonight we can overcome evil with good. Romans twelve twenty one. Paul knew that the challenges we'd have in exercising our spiritual gifts and living for God. And he told those believers who would be going through difficult times, he said, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When to you beat your enemy is something, overcome evil with good. Be nice to them. Be kind to them. Go the extra mile with them. Heap coals of fire upon their head, Paul said that. Overcome evil. Here's our problem. If evil comes our way, something bad happens, we just want to hold our way and fold our arms. We want to stay distant with them. No, you overcome evil with good. That's the Christ-like way. Young people can overcome peer pressure and temptation. By the way, older people can overcome peer pressure and temptation. 1 John 2, 14. Are you there? Notice what he says. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong. Hey, that's a great thought. Young men, you're supposed to be strong. Amen? Amen. Not anemic. Not anemic. You're strong. And he says, and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. You know he's telling every young person? Maybe you're immature to someone else by age, but listen, you can be strong in Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna tell you what we need tonight. We need some 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds and 22s and 23s and 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. I'm gonna keep going because some of you in your 30s you still like at your 16, 30, 31, 32, 33, and so forth like that. We need some of you who get that young man mentality that John's talking about there. That you have overcome the evil one. You are strong in Jesus Christ, and you can and overcome Yes, the troop shall overcome you. And yes, you'll lose some friendship. And yes, some people will roll over you. And yes, you'll stand all alone and feel lonely. But listen, you shall overcome the troop at the last, the Bible says there. Every Christian is an overcomer because of Jesus Christ. You read First John. John, John, God gave us first John because those believers of the church at Ephesus, many years had gone by and false teachers had gone in and they were advocating that Jesus Christ could not be God because they believed anything associated with the flesh was evil. And they said if he had flesh, he was evil. No, he wasn't. He was the son of God. Listen, he had no sin in him. He had no human father. Listen, he had a virgin birth. And that same deity he had in eternity was that same deity that manifests himself when he came into the world. Listen, do we know when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them under the law. Listen, he was made under the law yet without sin. Thank God we have a sinless Savior. But those believers were discouraged because of how things had transpired in their church. And so he wrote to them in 1 John 4, 4. Did you notice that? He says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Hey, that's, that's something you can stand on right now, brother and sister in Christ. What, what's a, he says, you are of God, little children, and overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he's using the word little children many times in 1 John because their spiritual mentality and their spiritual faith was like little children. They'd been run over by a troop. That great faith that the church at Ephesus had at one time had gone backwards, and they lost that vision, and they lost that zeal, and they lost that enthusiasm. And he had to write to them again. By the way, it started when John wrote to them. Jesus spoke to them in Revelation chapter 2, and he told them they left their first love. You lose your passion for Jesus not long before your faith starts to diminish, your faith starts to get small. I want to encourage you tonight. if you don't do anything else, tonight, get back in love with Jesus tonight, amen? And he says, you have overcome them. He says, you have God, little children, have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Hey, we need to determine tonight, yeah, there's some things in this world that are going bad. I just read a news clip and I sent it to some of our deacons, some of our staff, how in over Nigeria, the Muslims have killed 120 Christians. And I think the term, of course, for Christians is a little bit skewed and a little bit more inclusive of those who perhaps are not really truly saved and born again. But be that as may, that basically, if, they're, if you're not of their faith, basically they're going to kill you. They're going to villages and slaying them and slaughtering them by the time. And listen, if you're one of those people living there, you feel Discouraged, you feel like you're overcome. But I remind you tonight: Greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. You might feel like you're all by yourself, but Greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. And you might feel like you've had setback after setback, but Greater is He that is in you than He that's in the world. God has called every Christian to be an overcomer. Notice First John five four: For whatsoever is born of God, how many of you are born of God this morning, this evening? Amen. Yes. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Hey, you were born into victory. You were born a Nike. Praise God. Amen. For whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world. You, born, you weren't born in defeat, and you weren't born as a loser. You were born in a God. Listen, if you were born physically as a loser, that's just what it is. But thank God when you got born again, you were born a victor in Jesus Christ. Amen. For whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world, and this is the victor to overcome the world. Even Hey, why would you want to be like the world when you, got, when you could overcome the world? Why do you want to conform to the world when friendship with the world is enmity with God? When the Bible says, you have overcome the world even by your faith. Hey, tonight, let's stretch our faith and let's put some risk to our faith. And let's take a stand for Christ. Easter's coming. We get to exalt the the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious death on the cross. And we can lift up Jesus high. And listen, some people will oppose us and some people will be against us. But you have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. God's churches can overcome. We'll go to Revelations 2 and 3. You might want to turn your, put your finger there for just a minute. All seven churches at Asia Minor were encouraged by our Lord to overcome. Two of them, he found no fault with them. But he did say to them, he that overcometh. Five of them, he found some faults, characteristics. And when you read through Revelation 2 and 3, as you read about these different churches. It should not make us critical. It should not make us put our church and compare it and say, well, that must be our church. It must make us say, you know what? Jesus is, is merciful and Jesus is loving. And he gives a word of admonition. He says, we can overcome. And I'm gonna say tonight, every church will experience these different dynamics. Would you listen tonight? We 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 will experience the diff the, the dynamic of a of a diminishing love for Christ. We will face the dynamic of persecution and hatred by the world. We will face the dynamic of false doctrine that finds its way in the church, no matter how hard we try. And we try to we try to squelch that false doctrine. Paul talked about that to the church at Ephesus. He said, "Listen." He said, at the, "He said when I leave, he says grievous wolves shall come in and will try to seize the flock and make disciples of themselves." He says, "He says you know, church will experience false doctrine. Churches will experience covetousness, like some of the churches did. Uh, churches will experience false teachers in their midst." Churches will, expre- will, will, will experience threats to their purity and holiness. Uh, tr- churches will experience situations where things that are dying. The church of Sardis had things that are dying. Jesus told them to repent. He says you, that, that, that He says that, that He said that, that they have things that were dying. He said the strength of the things that remain. I mean, there are things that are dying. The things that need to be re- that need to be kindled. There, uh, ch- churches face trials. Churches face open doors and closed doors. Churches will experience like the church at Laodicea, which is the age we're in. Churches will face times of apathy and. Indifference. Church will face times of lukewarmness and lack of zeal. They're not hot or cold because they're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I mean we face all these type of things I and mean Churches that face that, are, are, it's not the corporate body per se. it's the individuals who make up the church, who experience these type of things, and if we just let those things take control of us, and we let those things prevail, and we just come to church with a with a, a so-so attitude, and we just expect to be entertained, and expect something something that, that, that we're wondering, well, I wonder, I wonder if the pastor's going to do some cartwheels, and I wonder what he's going to do different, I wonder if he's going to pour water out of the jug next week, you know, I wonder if he's going to do things like that there, and we, we kind of expect to be entertained, but I'm going to tell you tonight, we don't need a church filled with entertainment, and we don't need a church filled with hype. We need a church filled with people that are holy before God and desire God more than anything else. Listen, what we need is that you and I get our hearts ready to come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night and we get our hearts ready to hear the engrafted word which is able to save souls and we get ourselves prepared to say, God, there might be a sinner here tonight who needs to get saved. There's somebody here tonight who's got a husband going to hell or a wife going to hell and they need Jesus Christ as Savior and it might be tonight that God, you're going to do something great in that church. Churches can overcome. Jesus said repeatedly, you're going to have these challenges, but he that overcometh, don't be in the, don't buy into the idea that things have to die or that we have to give up a fight. We can and we will overcome according to the Lord. Amen. A troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Well, I think about David, and I think about famous people, and I think about, I think about the churches at, in, in Asia Minor, and I think, I think about the Christian life. But I, can I tell you as we close tonight, can I tell you about the greatest overcomer? Now, I tell you tonight about the greatest overcomer. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, sir. At Calvary, a troop overcame our Savior. At Calvary, the creator of the universe, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, was taken by the hands of sinful men a kangaroo court unjustly tried him, found him guilty of sins and crimes he did not commit. They called him a liar. Their, even their magistrate said, what is truth? And he was looking right at the truth. He said, I washed my hands clean of this man. He turned Jesus over to that crowd. And listen, those sinful men, you talk about being overcome by a troop. They took Jesus and they stripped him of his clothing. I want you to understand tonight, my God who made you and me, my God who's a spirit, and they that worship him, worship His spirit and truth, but he took on human flesh. They humiliated my Lord and stripped him naked before all those men. They stripped my Savior naked before them and shamed him before all those men and made him get down and humiliate like an animal, and made him stretch out his back. and they took that Roman cat of tails and they applied it 40 times his back and ripped his back to shreds, even to where some commentators and historians believe that his organs were coming out of his back there. If that wasn't enough, they picked him up with a bruised, battered, swollen back that he had, barely able to stand up. And they, throw, they mocked him by putting a purple robe over him. And they mocked the king of kings and said, if you're a king, let's give you a true crown. And they put a crown of thorns on the head of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they pierced his brow. And blood is just pierced. He's pierced all over his head. And blood is pouring down his head. If that wasn't enough, they hit Jesus on the face. And when they hit him, they just didn't slap him. They just didn't hit him. They hit him hard. They hit him hard to hurt him. And he was a disfigured in his face, even to the point where Isaiah said he was totally disfigured. They couldn't even tell if he was a human being they pulled his hair out of his cheek and the hair out of his head and he had wounds coming out of him on one side and wounds on the other side was it not they beat him and they swore at him and you can imagine they took the creator of the universe the God of creation the God of all salvation the God of comfort the God of peace they took our savior and they beat him and they spit on our Jesus they cursed him and swore him and blasphemy they railed on our Jesus listen tonight Jesus had a troop that overcame him and yet that wasn't the end he's exhausted and he's dehydrated and he's broken and he's bending over but he's not giving up at that moment they put a heavy cross on his back and they're barely able to lift the weight and Jesus I want to tell you tonight Jesus was a man's man Jesus was a real man and Jesus could lift any kind of weight but at that moment in time Jesus with all the beating that he endured that long evening he had how they beat him and just broke him down this and he could barely hold that cross but somehow he made it all the way to Calvary he made it there to Golgotha, the kill of the skull. And there they stretched our Savior naked across that cross. They stretch His arms at. And listen, you could hear the thud of the nails as they pierced His hands. And you could hear the thud of the nails as they pierced His other hand. And you could hear the thud of the nails as they put His feet together. They crushed those bones and went through the sinews of His flesh and the sinews of His muscles and went through His feet and impaled Him to that cross. And if you would, our Jesus was put to that cross. Listen, whatever you put on that cross as a little, little pin there, remind yourself, our Savior was impaled to that cross and there our Jesus hung. A troop had overcome him. Listen, he'd been overcome by a troop and there he hung in between heaven and earth there for several hours and all by twelve noon, all of the earth turned black, everything turned dark and the God the Father had to turn his back on God the Son and he could not utter a word and all those things and Jesus cried out for water and he said my, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean he felt in his innermost soul like some of us feel when a troop has overcome us. My God, why has thou forsaken me? If you think you felt forsaken, if you think you feel forsaken right now, can you imagine how Jesus felt at that moment in time? His face disfigured, his body broken, he's running out of breath, he's hurting inside, he's on the verge of a massive heart attack because he's there on that, on that cross, and his lungs are filling with water, pneumonia, all these things happening to our Savior. A troop shall overcome him. Then if things weren't bad, they, they declared him dead, and as they declared him dead, a, a soldier wanted to find out when he took a spear, and with that spear he pierced the side of our Lord Jesus Christ and as he pierced the side of our Lord Jesus Christ, blood and water came out. And that centurion who stood by the side there, and during that whole time, he said, truly, this is the Son of God. Can you imagine, if you would, a troop had overcome him? And here comes Nicodemus, and here comes Joseph of Arimathea, these two men who were scared to reveal what they really were like. At that moment in time, they were thinking in mind, boy, if there's ever time we better take a stand for Jesus, we better do it right now. If there's ever time we're going to identify with Jesus, we better do it right now. Hey, those men, those Gadites, they identified with David in the hold in the wilderness. That wasn't the most likely place. And listen, maybe you think by going to taking the body of Jesus off the cross is not the most likely place to identify. At least they went and identified themselves because all the rest of the disciples ran away. And they went and identified themselves and they carefully, they took the body of our Savior down because if they had not, if they had not, they would have treated that body just like a normal criminal. They would have ripped the body off the cross and in fact they would have just taken the whole cross and thrown it down down that valley down there, the valley of Gehenna to burn with all the garbage stuff because that's what they did with criminals. But those two men came with love and pulled our body of our Lord Jesus Christ off. And I've wondered many times, as those men took him off, they looked at his face that was battered and bruised and blood everywhere. They looked at that body that was broken. They looked at that lifeless body, no breath coming out of him. That body was quickly turning cold because he experienced death like you and I. They put bombs and, and ointments on his body. They wrapped him in freshly new linen that they bought. And maybe those two men thought, like many other people, a troop has overcome him. They carried the body of our Savior. Those two men, they carried him up to a tomb that Joseph had clave out the rock for himself. It was a new tomb where no body had ever been laid. There was a slab inside that tomb. We know that from John's Gospel. They laid that body on the slab, and then the Romans then they rolled the stone over as they typically did over uh, as, as last rites over a person. They rolled the stone over, thinking that's it. Oh, a troop had overcome him. There was a pall over all of Jerusalem, and after they buried him, Passover came, and the Jews went on and did their thing, as if all of Jerusalem didn't even care that our Savior would have been crucified. It's like all of Jerusalem, okay, another criminal died. we are just going with life. They had their Passover, not realizing that the Passover lamb had just died for the sins of all the world. Sabbath day went by, people are doing their thing, but the disciples are feeling really down in the mouth and down in their heart. They're thinking a troop overcame him. But I remind you today, a troop overcame him, but he shall overcome a troop of the last. Hey, I remind you, before the sun came up, those ladies were walking down there to the tomb, and they're wondering who's going to roll away the stone they got there, and lo and behold, the stone was rolled away. The stone was moved away. They saw an angel sitting on the stone. They said, where is he? They said, don't worry about it. He said, he is risen. The one you're looking for, Jesus of Nazareth, he is risen from the dead. Hey, a troop overcame, but listen, he overcame the troop of the last. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose victorious. He conquered it. And I like what it says in 2 Timothy 1.10 Jesus abolished death. I like that this this evening. I like the fact that he overcame death. He overcame Satan. He overcame sin. Our Jesus overcame over that. Jesus overcame that troop. And those closing moments there, the troop overcame him. That he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. Hey, a troop overcame him. But he overcame the troop at the last. The closing days of the great tribulation which all those who are not raptured will go through. This world will be in a total mess. The satanically energized armies of the world, their one world religion, the leader of the world, the beast. The word beast, the connotation is talking about someone ferocious, talking about someone who is who's, who's, who's an animal in his instincts. One who tears and rips. This man, we don't even know how to conceive this idea of this man, the beast. He's inhumane, and he rightly is inhumane because he's energized by Satan. He's the puppet of Satan. By the way, if you're safe, thank God you're not going to be there, amen? That beast and his false prophet will assemble with all the armies. There will be such a vented hatred against our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure how this all will come together, but I know one thing, they'll probably come with their, their weapons of mass destruction and everything they have in their arsenal at that time. They're thinking this and We don't believe that this Jesus is real. He's not greater than our leader. He's not greater than our beast. And they'll assemble that large valley called the Valley of Megiddo. A, a two million man army will be down there. All these different groups of people will be down there waiting, challenging Jesus to come. And there'll be those who are not part of that army and those will be running and hiding in the mountains places, doubting and wonder. I wonder if a troop has overcome them because for seven years... There's been no there's, there's no, there's no word from Jesus. All they have are these martyrs that have been killed. And they're thinking, it's not worth it to serve Jesus Christ. There are these people have stood for Christ, but they've been martyred and they've been beheaded. And the voice of the martyrs is crying out for help and mercy. But listen, there will come a moment there as they bow, gather there. They're not sure when it will happen because we're not told it will come like the lightning out of the east. But listen, even though they, they think that a troop has overcome them. Hey, listen, the heavens will open. Praise God. The heavens will open. They'll look up in the sky and every eye shall see them. And the heavens will open. And the clouds will open up and there he'll be on that white horse and his name is called Faithful and True and on that white horse he'll be there. It has a name written on him that no man knows except the fact we know that his name is the word of God and he's going to come with all the armies of heaven and praise God, our Jesus, who they thought they overcame, he will come at the end with that truth and he'll just speak a word from his mouth and all the enemies as we read Zechariah 12 and 14 all those enemies will be slain by the word of his mouth and our Jesus will come and he'll establish his kingdom on earth and I'm going to tell you tonight, listen, our Jesus Christ our Savior yes a troop overcame him but he's going to overcome at the last and listen we're not we're coming back with Jesus we're not staying up in heaven we're coming back with Jesus we're coming as part of his army we're coming to overcome to fulfill what Jacob said about God a troop shall overcome him but he shall overcome at the last his eyes will be like a flame of fire and his head are many crowns can you imagine that? I believe there'll be crowns on his head representing every kingdom on earth that he has conquered at that moment of time. He's clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. And John describes in Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all kindreds of the earth shall bewail because of him. Even so, amen. Yeah, a troop overcame him at Calvary but he shall overcome at the last. Christian friend, how's it gonna all end for you and me? We will have those moments when a troop will overcome us, but we will overcome at the last. For this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You're of God, little children, and overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. In 1948, there was a piano competition. It was called the Tchaikovsky Competition. And a pianist who was very famous in the country of China named Liu Qigong competed there. And of all things, he came in second to the famous pianist Van Cliburn. Both those names hit the headlines all over the world. Everybody knew Van Cliburn, but people were just learning who Li Gong was. Li Gong was very famous, and then as communism took its place in China, he became a victim of the Cultural Revolution. They took all the people that were very talented and artistic and educated, people like him, they put him in prison and tormented him for seven years. After seven years, he was released. During that whole time, this famous pianist was denied the use of a piano. He hadn't practiced for seven years with his fingers. He hadn't been on a piano for that time. They tried to break his spirit. They tried to break the will of that man. Then after seven years, that man was released, and somehow he got out of China. I'm not sure if he got a political asylum, or whatever, but he got out. And Liu Li Gong went back on tour. And somehow someone sponsored him and said, well, we'll sponsor you to go back and we want the world to benefit from your beautiful playing of the piano. And immediately some of the critics that were following him, they were astonished that as he started playing in public, that his musicianship, his piano playing, had not missed a beat. Remember, he hadn't touched a piano for seven years. And they were amazed. In fact, they were saying, wow, sir, your piano playing sounds actually better than when you were in competition with Van Cliburn. They said, this can't be so. You you didn't have access to piano for seven years. You were incarcerated. They put the propaganda on you. They tried to wear you out. And his critics, they were looking at him. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They said, you had no chance to practice for seven years. How did you do this? And this is what Mr. Lou said. He said, I did practice. Every day, I rehearsed every piece I have ever played note by note in my mind. I did practice. Every day, I rehearsed every piece that I ever played note by note in my mind. You know what, that man made a determination when they put him in prison. They took away his liberties, not showing how it all would unfold. You know what he was thinking in his mind? A troop has overcome me, but I will overcome the troop at the end. Listen, we need to have the mindset and the heart set tonight that Jesus Christ has already given us the victory. You're going through some deep waters. You're going through some trial. You're dealing with a betrayal. You're dealing with unforgiveness. You're dealing with some bitterness in your life. You're dealing with some issue in your life. You feel like your, things have fallen apart. You feel like the rug was pulled out from beneath you. You feel like everybody's disappointed you. You're not sure where it's all going to end. Let me tell you tonight, you've been overcome by troop, but the Bible promises you shall run through the troop at the last. You are an overcomer in Jesus Christ tonight. We see Gad who conquers. I'm not going to stay with Gad who, in his conflict. I'm going with Gad who conquers. Let's get the characteristic of a Gadite, one who has faith, one who finds his identity in his savior one who's fearless one who has finesse one who is focused and one if you would just determines in his heart's heart that he's just going to go on and serve the lord are you going through something tonight are you a defeated christian or are you going to be one who's going to run through truth hey he gives us the victory you are of god little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world i reminded this this evening about the little girl i tell the story about all the time she went to a she went to a um she went to a carnival with her daddy and, and uh, she was just so amazed at everything and her eyes got as big as silver dollars and she came across a cotton candy machine and she asked her daddy to buy this cotton candy. You know how cotton candy is. They, they blow it up really big to make it, to make it appetizing and, and seductive to you so you'll buy that or you'll buy it for your kid there. And she said, Daddy, can you buy this cotton candy? And she's just a small little thing and he says, Honey, do you think you can eat all that? He says, The cotton candy looks like it's bigger than you. And I like what she said. Daddy, I can eat it because I'm bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. And her mind you tonight that's the kind of people god wants us to be he wants bigger on the inside than we are on the outside you can overcome them but were you willing to meet the demands and pay the price to meet them along the way a troop shall overcome you but he shall overcome the troop at the last our father tonight thank you for the story of gad and the prophecy thank you it's encouraging tonight that regardless of what troubles and problems and difficulties we face We can overcome at the last. Thank you, dear Lord, this evening for our Savior who gives us power. Thank you that we are of God and that we have overcome them because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Thank you that Jesus is greater. He's greater than our problems. He's greater than our adversities. He's greater than our troubles. He's greater than our financial difficulties. He's greater than our worries. He's greater than our sorrows. We can overcome that. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Father, tonight, as we pray, we humble ourselves before you. You know our heart of hearts. You know where we've been overcome by a troop. But Lord, I pray you help us to pick up our pieces. And like that man who every day for seven years rehearsed every note that he ever played, note by note, in his mind and prepared his heart because he knew one day he would get out. He just had faith that he would get out one day and would be back on the circuit. Father, help us to rehearse in our mind that you love us and that, Lord, you're merciful, and that, God, you have something great you want to accomplish in our lives. Help us to go out and be a Gadite tonight, to set our faces like a face of a lion, The Lord, to cross over the the raging rivers of Jordan, and, Lord, to to conquer the enemy on the valley at the east and the west. Father, would you help us? We feel so weak. We feel so helpless. We feel so, Lord, like this impossible. Would you do the impossible through us for your glory? Father, would you give resolve tonight to the brothers and sisters here? Would you give courage courage and strength to us tonight to take a stand to live for you, to overcome at the last because Jesus, our Savior, was one who was overcome by a troop, but he overcame at the last. Thank you, Jesus is coming again, and we can look to the coming of our Lord to give us resolve and encouragement that he gives us that enablement. Father, if someone here tonight is not truly born again and saved, they're not truly certain and sure, their sins have been forgiven, they're not truly certain that, Lord, they're going to heaven, I pray tonight they would trust in Christ to be their Savior and Lord. Would you bless tonight as we use invitation for us to have a holy time with you and for you to be glorified. We pray for this in Jesus' name. The pianist is going to play. If you feel like you need some time with the Lord, let's stand. You come find your place at the old-fashioned altar. A troop shall overcome, but he shall overcome the troop at the last. You're facing trouble in your home, your marriage, your children, your career, your job. Yeah, we are all getting overrun by a troop, There's never enough money at the end of the month. But he shall overcome the troop at the last. Having difficulties at home, your job, situations out of control, nobody knows but you and God. He promises we are overcomers. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. And then tonight, if you're not sure you're saved and going to heaven, we invite you tonight to call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. Come tonight. Come tonight. Let's humble ourselves before a holy God. Jesus was run over by a troop at Calvary, but thank God he rose again from the dead. Thank God he's coming again. He'll establish his kingdom on earth, and we'll come with him as part of the armies of heaven. Father as our folks are praying and I don't want them to rush but Lord as our folks are praying around the room we need courage and resolve Father we humble ourselves before you, realizing there's just a lot of inadequacies too much pride too much conceitedness that needs to be crucified Lord if we're going to get things done for you we've got to come by the way of the cross and take up the promise and humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Father, help us to make a holy determination. With God's help, we'll get through this troop. We'll run past that troop. We can say like David, through him, I have run through a troop. and By my God, I have leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to those who trust in him. Would you increase our faith? Increase our desire for you this evening. Father, be glorified in our decisions around the room, our commitments to you. We have several young couples that are engaged to be married. And though maybe for some it's, it's kind of like a fairy tale dream for them, yet in many ways, Lord, it's, it's, very, it's a very sobering thing to realize they're going to be married and uniting in Christ. And they need your help. Lord, they need to realize that, Lord, a troop's going to overcome them, but they need to determine by God's help they're going to overcome the troop at the last. Somewhere tonight, there might be somebody here tonight on the verge of quitting, on the very verge of just giving up and throwing in the towel. Help them, Lord, tonight to realize they don't have to give up, that they will overcome at the last. Thank you, Lord. We have the promise of victory. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Father, help us tonight as your children to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord dismiss us in a moment with your blessing thank you for the help of God in